This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. It's uh, just to be. It's very sweet. Yeah, just to to be honest, it wasn't as easy as I was making it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your directions alone. Yeah, it's not easy, and I was dreading doing it, but it was fun <laughs> to do it. And I listened to Thomas Burton's Seven Story Mountain. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. That's awesome. Yes. It's great. Is it good? It really is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys are welcome to stay mm-hmm. here if you want for the Q and A. Live studio audience. Oh yeah. Can you sit here? Yes. Okay. Parker will be the moderator. I'm gonna take that second piece too. You this? Are you gonna take this? Yeah. Good cake, Ben. Is it good? All right. Okay. Glad to hear that. Q and A time. So thanks for sticking around for those of you who have. Man, I'm so. I guess we're both kind of short on the <laughs> iPad, but. Um, so the way we decided we're going to do this is we're going to we're going to break it up into some topics and um i think the topics that we came up with were uh salem prez uh bible and theology Mm -hmm. spirituality and prayer uh Discipleship and ethics, and then random. And uh, start with a random one. Yeah. Well, I put some in. I put some randoms in here. I think we'll just. uh, I will say that if you write a really random question, your chances of getting it in are really good. (laughs) Creativity is encouraged. Yeah. But uh, there were a lot of questions about Salem Press specifically. Yeah. And I figured we would. when we start, if we do this some more, we'll just let you know what topic we're going to talk about and you can submit questions around that. And we're going to eventually get to all these, right? Yep. Yep. But so tonight we're just, no. that's my empty yeah. right? podcast. Yep. 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 <laughs> uh, so we'll, uh, we'll start by, um, 
We've got some questions. They all relate to Salem Prez tonight, specifically. And then uh, I don't know what we'll do next week, but um, yeah. So I'll just get us started by asking this question. What three books would you take to a deserted island? At least one has to be fiction. You go first. Yeah. This is not to say I'm a three favorite books because I would take Near Christianity, but I've read it so many times I don't think I would take that. Okay. I would definitely take um, I think I would take Paradise Lost. Just because I would like to like keep going through that. And probably the Divine Comedy. Okay. Because I would like to just keep rereading that. Just try to understand it more. Mm-hmm. And um, Private Institutes, John Calvin's. Just, yeah. I just just want to keep mulling over those things. Those are not my three favorite books. Yeah. I don't even know much about the Divine Comedy. I've read a little yeah. bit. Of it. You can move the pulpit if you want, Parker, so that Ben can see your face. Oh, yeah. It's so confused. <laughs> you don't like the answer to this one? Not really. Um, <laughs> I I guess my first one, Ben, would be the Bible. Oh, I didn't know. There was a deserted island. I think deserted, you know, being the past tense, (laughs) implies that someone was once there and we assume that those who deserted it and left behind the island. There's probably still a hotel with the the Bible. I had the institutes as well. If you've never read the works of John Calvin, they're incredible. And he is uh, he is woefully underserved by the people who represent him. Yes. Including us. Yeah. Um, my second one was um, instead of a well, what were my two main ones? Um, I think probably Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. Okay. And then um, collected works of Mary Oliver. Collected. Yeah. Can I put a collected in there? Well, it's a small book. It's, okay. it's not her. It, they call it that, but it's not her. I okay. guess that's what it's called, right? That yeah. purple copy? Yeah. She's a poet but it's not all her books. She's, she's, she's a poet, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. You're, you're, like you got to ask the next one. Okay. <clears throat> Joy is loud, but grief often is hidden. How can we better hold both joy and grief in tension together? Does our church do anything system-wise to better help those that are hurting? I think this is a great question. Um, One of the things that you may have heard me say is that uh, pastoring is a lot like public health and counseling is a lot like medicine. And Ben and I talked about the fact that we are trained in giving people an imagination for what a healthy, godly life looks like. And we're not trained in how to deal with trauma or grieving or um, mental health struggles or anxiety. Uh, we, we both have master's degrees in, in, uh, in studying the Bible and theology and pastoring. And so that makes us people who teach and know the word, but we don't, um, we're not equipped in that. And we're very comfortable saying we're not equipped to handle that. So that's one of the reasons that our church partners with counseling 
mm-hmm. organizations like the Trinity Center and uh, the Barnabas Center. And so uh, we often try to refer people. I know this question also referred to um, like Steve Beck's Peacemaker class. And I think that um, that class does not deal with grief, but, um, and we don't have a class per se that, that deals with grief. We really don't have many uh, what we call episodic discipleship things. We just have um, exploring Salem and the Peacemaker class right now. And then we also uh, included this marriage retreat, that we, intensive marriage retreat that we tried last year. But uh, we, yeah, we don't have uh, any sort of system systematized things other than to say that we feel like our job as a church, especially the elders, but as a community, is to be with people and sit with people and love them. I guess I, I guess there is one thing that we do, which is that we have encouraged people, and, and uh, some of you did it last year. But we're hoping to do more and more of these. There, the Barnabas Center puts on a training called Barnabas Basics, and it really essentially is training you to listen to people who are in pain. It's it's teaching the community how to do basic counseling, and. Uh, I don't know, there were about 10 of us. Susie, sorry to put you on the spot. Did you go to that? Mm-hmm. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so is that a fair assessment of what that is? Yeah. So um, that, I think, is something that we're interested in doing annually, if not more often. Do you have anything to add to that? I thought about that Barnabas thing, too, where you <clears throat> learn how to just ask really good questions and listen. You just ask follow-up questions and keep mm-hmm. listening and ask deeper questions. I think... Um, Austin and I, like, we can model that um, in our communication, whether it's from preaching or community update or prayer. The songs we sing, the songs we choose actually are very important. And I think this is, I would give us an A plus in terms of this. Like, we sing songs of grief at our church. Some people, I mean, even how long, um, you know, people have been irritated by that song. But um, I think... um, I think we model. I think the small groups is where a lot of grief is is handled. I've, I've heard. Yeah. People weep with each other there and bring up really hard stuff. So I think what we can do is model it, and the leaders, the sermon leaders, the session. Yeah. One one other thing on that, and then we can move on. But um, I was talking to someone who has been around Salem for a long time, and they were noting how we have less of that during our congregational prayer time than we used to. And just want to say that that is very welcome. Uh, in fact, it's, it's really encouraged. Um, I know that when the Greens lost Julia, Liz, I'm really proud that Liz was very willing to be vulnerable in front of the congregation about that. And so if you feel hindered in any way, talk to us because we, we do want to be a worship service where people can mm-hmm. open up their grief. Okay, this is a hard left turn topically, but um, there's a group of people that have been putting out, group of people that have been putting in prayer requests since probably December. I think so. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, this one comes from Ibrahim Moises, who's good friends with <laughs> Desquarius Green Jr., who also submitted a question. Also, Shakira Kwan TGI Carter submitted a question. And Osmataz Bakshank. If you're, if you're not familiar, it comes from uh, 
comes from a sketch comedy bit from a comedian duo, Key and Peele. Who and is this person? We don't know who this person is. <laughs> we have strong suspicions. They've, we've accused three or four people, including Parker. Um, I wish it was my idea. The uh, This one says, uh, when are we going to have spoken word poetry as part of our worship service? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm asking that. I teed that up for you. I, if you, I really, I have a direction I think you can go with this. I don't know. Psalms or <laughs> well, <laughs> when I think, I think, I think this question could be rephrased. I this indicates to me that Ibrahim Moises has not been coming to Salem. Uh, he didn't go to Salem pre 2010. That's true. That is true. This has been done. Because there was a fair amount of yes, word poetry. There was. Yeah. How did that go? Didn't always go well. <laughs> Just spoken word poetry. Yes, it didn't gone. always go well. There are forms for that. I'm not sure churches, but yeah. in the worship service. I think yeah. there are ways to do it in church. Uh, but if you, if you like our liturgy, which not everyone does, that was a somewhat direct result of the spoken word poetry, <laughs> yes, is that correct? Yes, to put more order, structure to the, yeah. yes, to the utterances made in the worship service. Okay, we've got a good string of, of random questions here. <laughs> okay, why is white wine served chilled and red wine at room temperature? <laughs> Um, except for that awesome red that West Salem Public House had last summer. <laughs> that was actually in the question. That was a question that someone submitted. Do you know the answer to that? I don't really. I'm not a wine expert. But I will say that that awesome wine last summer was a Beaujolais, which is a French wine that's served chilled. Mm. And so if you like that. Is it slightly sweet? It's not. Okay. But it's, it's uh, pretty delicate. It's not very heavy. Uh, here's what I do know about this, and then we can move on. Um, white wine is served chilled mostly, partially because it's, uh, it's mostly drank in the summer. It was, uh, usually drank by, um, farmhands, especially like before there was filtered water. Um, and so white wine is, uh, is in like Italy and France is considered like a, like an end of your work day refreshment. Um, so it tastes most refreshing. Also white wine tends to be more acidic and that is uh, in a good way. It comes out more when it's cold. And then red wine is actually not supposed to be served at room temperature. Uh, it's supposed to be served at what's called cellar temperature, which mm -hmm. is around 55 degrees. And so when you're drinking a red wine that's like 75 degrees, because that's what your room is, it's actually uh, not as good as it might be. So really, we should all be storing our wine in freezers. Under the house. Under your house. We all need a wine cellar. Yeah. All right. Um, this one comes from Desquarius Green Jr. Why is Salem such a draw for doctors and med students? Um. I think it has to do with the time. Uh, 
that's one component at the time of our worship service and uh, the origins of our worship service. I would say Redeemer Presbyterian Church has always drawn med students and doctors because it's nearby. Um, it's in Ardmore. And I would say Redeemer has a history of um, kind of intellectual preaching, dating back to Rick Downs, especially. And, um, and so that was a draw for doctors and med students. And then our service was at 5 p.m. So um, people who were residents had a lot easier time making it to that than they did the morning services. Um, and then I think once a lot of residents uh, started coming, I think med students might have followed because it became somewhat popular at the med school. And um, I don't know, having a science background might be part of that. I'm not sure that has anything to do with it, that I have that science background. What would you say? Would you add anything to that? I think the science background is true. I'd also say this has not been true forever. Um, there used to be a large, like, when the service was, when I first started coming, the service was like 100 people, and probably 20 of them were school of the arts connections. That's true. So I, I do think that there's just an element of people invite people they know. Yeah. And uh, I think if you're in the medical community, that's beautiful because yeah. they're obviously inviting each other. So I, I think that it, it um, sort of exponentially grows on itself and mm -hmm. especially has because, um, you know, about five or six years ago, those doctors started staying around. Yeah. And... So there were people who went to med school residency and then stayed in Winston, and then the people that they were, you know, interacting with under them, they might have invited, and mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, beyond meeting on Monday, what other weekly or monthly obligations do the elders have? And I put the. You want to do that one too? Yeah, I put those together. Okay, and the other one, joint question with that: What's the best way for members? to express concerns about the way the church is running or direction the church is going, are the session meetings open to the public? Yeah, these are, these are good questions because I, I think we are, I was thinking, you know, unintentionally the session could come across like a board of directors or a secret society. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's so the opposite of our desire. So a couple things that I'll mention is, um, I'd love to talk about very briefly what happens in our session meetings. But yeah. before that, I'll say, what are the things the elders do? And feel free to jump in and add mm -hmm. them. But uh, all of our elders attend a session meeting every other Monday night. And uh, they are all there every other Monday. Yeah. It is, uh, they treat it like a job and it's a huge sacrifice. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, uh, we tend to group our, we view it as a, uh, we call it like an outpost. And so we're sending people out to, uh, we send people, we send people out from the session um, instead of having people come in. That way we're trying to get more and more out because there's only so many people that can come mm -hmm. into a session meeting to meet with all 10 of the elders. And so whether we call it this formally or informally, we do these things called commissions. And all of the elders are usually on uh, two or three commissions at a time. And some of them relate to things that we're trying to figure out as a church. Like right now we're trying to figure out what are we going to do about our retreat this year. So there's some elders uh, commissioned to that. But then also more common are there are acute cases where someone is really struggling and they need long-term mm -hmm. care, whether that's
cause conflict in a marriage or uh, they're struggling with um, a mental health struggle or uh, I, I can think of three or four more, but I feel like they would almost breach confidence by being too specific. But there's always a lot of those kinds of things going on. And so they're uh, coming to every other meeting on Monday. They are serving on these commissions where they're meeting with people regularly. Um, and there are a lot of those little commissions where there's two or three of us working with people. And then they're just meeting with people one-on-one -on -one or having them over to their house, whether that's having breakfast with people. So really they're all serving, you know, an extra three or five hours a week. And there's also elder interviews. There's new member and interviews. And new member interviews and yeah. watching over small groups like they preach stuff. Yes. And then, um, and then in addition to that, um, they go to Presbyterian meetings once a quarter. Um, that's only one. Yeah. They only send one. And then um, you can be, sometimes they're on committees. And actually Jack Wilkerson right now, is, he's mm. working at every level of the denomination. So Jack yeah. works as an elder. He's on the board for CDM. I don't know if he's on the, I guess he's on the permanent committee advisory something for CDM. CDM which is uh, Church Discipleship Ministries, mm -hmm. and they published the book, The Good Confession, A Good mm -hmm. Confession that people are going through. They put out lots of the publications for the PCA, things like how to, how to think through youth ministry. And so Jack travels to Atlanta uh, to, to their meetings. And then Jack is also um, serving on a commission right now at the Presbyterian to work with a session that's having some issues in another church. Yeah, so uh, best ways for members to express concerns and our session meetings open to the public. Um, they're, I wouldn't say they're closed to the public. They're certainly not. In fact, we, uh, we do invite people to come to the sessions. Uh, we've, they're not, uh, most of what we deal with is pretty sensitive, so uh, we, would, we would probably not have people there when we're having sensitive conversations. So I think the implication of that question makes total sense, uh, which is that you would think it, it would be like a city council where we're sitting around making decisions, making plans, which is really a, a very, very tiny part of what the elders do. A lot of times the decisions in the church are made by, that are planning oriented, are made by servant leaders, elders, people who want to be engaged with those things, you know, like women's Bible study, men's Bible study, these are led by lay people in the church. Uh, the retreat is organized by a group of people that's open to anyone. Uh, so the way that our meetings are structured is we always start with what we call an intensive. Mm -hmm. And that's whatever's a big thing that we just need to make sure we allow a lot of time. And we, we started calling it an intensive so that we never crowded it and make, didn't give it due time. So we, our first hour or so is always an intensive. And that's usually something, some pastoral situation in the church that needs really uh, focused attention. Like reopening. Like reopening, Small but groups. also like people's lives. And oh, yeah, yeah. The intensive this week is yeah. you know, some people's lives. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Which is so, like, so, what was that? Uh, I'm, I'm Friday week for Stonewall. You're looking for a store? Look, while we were ready for Stonewall, there was a date date. Store station? Yeah, I, I walked here, I had a final temperature. 
store. Store, the place is store. I'm sorry, I don't know. No way, that, that just... There's a gas store. station down there. That yeah, right down that way. Yeah. If you go one block that way and then two blocks up. Right here. Mm-hmm. On Broad. It's right here. Yep. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, um, so we always do the intensive, mm-hmm. and then we also do other pastoral matters, so like those commissions or ongoing things. That's our next like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we usually have a little sliver called other business, which is just like little things that we check in on. Um, and we pray in and out of all of those things, and then we pray for another. So there's a lot of prayer and a lot of pastoral stuff, and it's almost entirely what we spend our time. The last 20 minutes, we always take to pray for an elder. We ask him, how are you doing? And ask a lot of personal questions and uh, lay our hands on them and then all pray. And then we kind of hug each other at the end of that. Kind of. <laughs> there's some what? There's some who are more prominent huggers. Yes, there are. Um, what about if somebody wanted to air a concern or have an idea oh, about the church? I think the best way to do that is to talk to an elder. Yeah, I think that's good. One-on-one, especially. Um, and that happens a lot. Ben and I meet with people who are concerned about something with the, with the, the small groups. Yeah. We're, we're very interested in having those conversations. Mm-hmm. All right. What's up with some churches' fascination with the Enneagram? Some also, churches. Multi-part question. Mm-hmm. Salem tends to be a little higher church than other pieces of churches. What, how has the liturgical flow developed? At the same time, almost paradoxically, Salem has a less formal feel about it. Um, what Enneagram type do you think Salem falls into? <laughs> so maybe we'll save the liturgical part separate. And I'd love to hear what you think is that Salem's... Uh, Enneagram type and why you think some churches are fascinated with Enneagram. <laughs> you know? Well, we have our take on it. Okay. On what, uh, we'll get say, what is Wait, it? Wait, are you even allowed to, to type other people or anything? You can type a church because you are as, part as of As it. a member, I would think I have to have a say. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. What, what do you think? Maybe you can explain first. Yeah. Okay, I'd say a little bit of a five, seven, nine. All right, can't can't do that. But if I had to put one number, I don't know. I don't know. A little four in there too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you can categorize groups, can you? I've never heard anything categorized. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> what, would what do you think? Three wings, four. Oh, <laughs> yes. Because of the population wait. of the body. Okay. Wait I, I on, see on that. Slack. I want to hear what other people say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait on Slack. Let's wait in on Slack. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I agree. I mean, you agree? Mary Margaret said three. I said wing four. Here, here's my take. I agree that that would be the collective identity, but like the expression of the church, I think, is a five wing four, which is like very. <laughs> Suspicious and investigatory, but with sort of a moody ring. Mm. That's that's the vibe of Salem. I think the ring four is key. Yeah. <laughs> three. Yeah. Three part Okay, so I think the implication of this question, what's up with some church's fascination with the Enneagram, sort of implies that 
this person, and not everyone in the room, is probably not a fan. What, what would you say? Do you think the Enneagram is helpful? Why, why did, you know, should Christians uh, look into that, not look into that? Did you give us your Enneagram for the church? I totally agree okay. with um, with the lovely woman. Yeah, I would say uh, Enneagram is kind of uh, yes, it, it is what it is too fascinating to the church. It's, I would say too fascinating. Um, it's helpful, like um, it is helpful, definitely to, to like the way we do that uh, as a session to know each other's Enneagram so that we can see tendencies and stuff like that. But it's um, yeah, I think you got to be really careful about like then trying to explain all their actions in that in terms of that number. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily more helpful than the Myers Briggs, in my opinion. But I don't know if I get as much information out of that person as mm-hmm. I get from the Myers Briggs. But yeah, it does seem like a, I mean, I know it's supposed to be an ancient Christian uh, practice or idea, so I think that's one reason churches are interested in it, and it does help a lot. But it's just it's you gotta be careful about moving beyond that into yeah. prescription. I think. I good think good descriptive, bad prescriptive. Yes. I think the Enneagram is helpful because uh, well first of all, it's not your identity, because our no. identity is in Christ. And I do think that that's where it becomes uh, problematic, like any personality typing. Uh, where I think it's helpful and why Christians to it is that it often focuses on our weaknesses, which I think can help us be more self-aware about how we relate to each other and God, which is different than the Myers-Briggs. And depending on how you use the Enneagram, I think is how it can be helpful. The Myers-Briggs, I find, tends toward people people saying, um, well, this is my identity, and therefore I am not to be held responsible for the actions. Like, I'm an introvert, so I don't need to talk to people. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's, the, that's not what it means to be human. And I think when the Enneagram veers in that direction, it's very uncomfortable. When, when you just say, like, I'm a four, so, yeah. you know, I'm a four. And so if I said to my wife, like, I'm a four, so if I want to stay up all night writing poetry and crying and then waking up on <laughs> children because I'm angry and then not helping the next day, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> But if I can say, wow, you know, I have these tendencies, like, this is how I'm affecting the people I relate to, and it creates a greater self-awareness about how we come before God and the people mm-hmm. in the community with that I think it's helpful. Yeah, that's well put. Oh, um, liturgy. I, oh, the liturgy. How did the liturgy develop? What time is it? We kind of, uh, it's 6.29. Okay. The, um, the liturgy, I mean, yeah, developed kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the spoken word, like it. I mean, there was a there was a, um, a doctor Tom Henson um, who was really influential in starting the church, and he was from a Episcopalian background, and so he and I talked a lot about it, and that was one reason. Um, but also, I think I'd always been drawn to that kind of yeah. structure. But if, if you talk to people who are ex Episcopalians and Anglicans, they don't see it as very. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, I think that's all in the perspective of, how, of where you've gone to church, because also, yeah. uh, higher church than other PCA churches, I think um, that is probably, as relates to the PCA churches in this area, 
Yeah. We are proud. I mean, I can't think if there's another church that's more liturgically driven than us in the PCA in this area. Uh, in doing liturgy and the church calendar and things like yeah. that. Although Redeemer's been doing more of that. Yeah. Um, but around the country in the PCA, that would be that it would be more true that there's more liturgical yeah. and that that is part of it. Yeah. Just one tradition. And sometimes it's easy to get confused with like being liturgical and then also the Lord's Supper being held in a high esteem. Yeah. And that's not the same. Yeah, I'd say we have a very high view of the sacraments, but that doesn't mean necessarily yeah. that's a Christian. That's true. So. Michelle, I'm just going to close the door. I walked here and it looked like bus. Oh, yeah. It does look all right. All right, we got a couple more. Okay. Why don't we sing in distress anymore? When are we going to get a recording of it? Hashtag in distress <laughs> 2020. Uh, I think we will do it again. And um and and I would like to record it soon. When I can when I can go into the Jared's house and do this. I feel like that's been the conversation for a while. So. It's, it's no joke to, you know, do that. We did just record a whole album. I would yeah, say, I've heard a lot of feedback on that song, too. I'm not the, you're not the only one who's mentioned that song. If you just want to, like, send, a, like, a, a phone recording to me, that's fine. Okay. Put it on the Salem Spotify playlist. I, I think on the Spotify playlist, he'd probably want a better version of it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with a rough cut to Okay. Phones, okay. So. All right. Um, oh, do I? That was, was all. Yeah. What's going on with small groups? Will there be a sign up or new procedures for small groups? I think that's a short answer for right now. I'll let you take that one. You got it. <laughs> What's going on with small groups? I mean, some are meeting, some are not meeting. Yeah. And we'll start a new round in the fall. Yeah. And we don't know what that's going to look like or sign up. So Will there be new yeah. procedures for small groups? I hope not. Um, I don't know. I'm guessing that means related to the coronavirus, and yeah. I think that's where we just we're, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, this question comes from Shakira Kwan TGIM <laughs> Carter. As a new member, what would you say are the best ways for a newcomer to get plugged in? And then the related mm -hmm. question, Osmataz Buckshank says Salem has clicks slash groups. We do a good job creating space to bridge the gap between groups and plug new members in if we've been there for eight small groups. Well, what kind of things go on behind the scenes? How can we as members be more inviting to newcomers? Okay. Um, best way for a newcomer to get plugged in, I would say fill out per request, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, and then you'll get a visit and a letter, respond to those. And, um, and then Usually if you meet with me or someone, they'll say, well, this, this is going on. Like we have a dinner trade sign up or we have a um, men's breakfast, women's brunch, um, or there was, there's a meeting to Salem before the service. Mm -hmm. um, so those would be good entry points. I would say the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study and the prayer meeting are really good. You can just come to those and you don't have to be uh, committed to anything. Yeah. Especially the prayer meeting, more than the other two, because the prayer meeting is just different people every week, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's an introvert's dream because you don't even have to say anything. You can come in and leave and not have to talk to anyone. Um, and then and then the next step would probably be 
signing up for discovering Salem and, and being this follower. I'll let you take the one off the clicks. Yeah, um, those are great. So all the things you named, just so that people are familiar, ministry, leading Salem, which is like a coffee hour before church, mm -hmm. men's breakfast, women's brunch, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, and prayer meetings. Yeah. There's a lot of places for people. And, and uh, to the end of that question, when it says, what can we as members do to be more inviting to newcomers? Newcomers go to those things if they want to meet people. Yeah. Um, in fact, sometimes it's like more newcomers. Yeah. Those. So what would be great is if, if you could just go to those. Go to do dinners for eight. Don't be content to say, I already have my friends. Right. Um, or I'm too busy. Uh, you know, try to, you can't do all of those things, but try to do one is great because you will meet new people. Um, even more, oh, you yeah, no, go ahead. Even more proactive and daring would be after service to just invite someone that you see that's new to your house for dinner. So. Yeah. Well, off of that, yeah, I forgot, I was going to mention this. So one thing you can do, two things you can do related to that, to the end of service. If you've ever visited another church or you've talked to a person who's ever visited another church, they will almost always judge that church based on whether someone said hi to them. Yeah. And that doesn't even mean you have to invite them over to their house, although I love... Or go out to eat. It's easy. Yeah. yeah walk to Just saying, hey, I'm so-and-so, noticing that somebody's sitting yeah. here you don't recognize. Almost no one ever says, I just went to this church, and I've been going for three months, and a person introduced my, themselves, and they didn't realize I had already been going there. No one gets offended by that. But people do get offended when no one talks to them. So better to or take it was so annoying saying, that five people came and said hello. Yeah, no one says that. Awful. The other thing is that um, sometimes you'll see uh, – I'm just like giving away the secrets here for those who stuck around, but – Sometimes you see me do the benediction instead of Ben, and that, that means, yeah, there's like a newcomer in the back, and we got to get Milner. <laughs> or you see me back. tearing through the <laughs> Yeah, so, so what you can do is make path for Ben, and, yes, uh, and save your checking in with Ben for after he's talked to some newcomers, because they're, they're not going to yeah. stick around for long, yeah, and ben, ben, he's the tallest, so we need him <laughs> on it. I can't do that, John. I'm I can't see who they are, but he is like a him. lighthouse. And I'm able to I'm, see them. I'm sometimes even willing to like go around to that outer door and outdoor, go yes. around and catch them coming out that back door quickly. No, they wish they didn't, fast. If the church didn't have stained glass windows, people would be able to see you running <laughs> along the length of the sanctuary. I'm like 100 committed to that. And then just so you know, there's a huge desire for newcomers. Yes. So if you're not feeling that way, then we're not communicating with you because yeah. there is a huge desire for among us and everyone for newcomers to be welcome. Yeah. The last thing I think then we can wrap this up is yeah. um, the the phrase Salem has clicks slash groups, and we do a good job of creating space to bridge the gap between groups. I think we do uh, work hard to bridge those gaps. That doesn't mean that we do it well. <laughs> Two nods. All right. It does not mean we do it well, but I do think that doing dinners for eight and the rotating small groups are ways that we're mixing those things up. And both of those require a lot of sacrifice, so way to go all of you. I don't know if that's a thing. He's going to tell us. He's wrapped up. I just wanted to find the, the phrase click because I think I had a, I had a oh, yeah. my first ever church internship. I had a boss 
who said that um, you have to define the difference between cliques and fellowship. Because cliques are groups of people that intentionally exclude people. And fellowship are groups of people who are having a good time, but not everyone is included. Like they'll go to the beach together, the mountains together. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. And we just have to recognize that, like, number one, it is painful and worth acknowledging that it's painful to not be included in groups of people. That really hurts. Uh, but there's a difference in intention there, and we have to be careful about not celebrating that people build new friendships. And that's hard to say because um, really that's like in a social sense saying, be thankful that some people are rich and some people are poor. Yeah. We lament that poverty, but we don't want to as assign a negativity to something that is enriching in people. And ideally, we want to be a church that pursues mm -hmm. everyone having a group of people that they have deep friendships with. But that's something that we can't necessarily accomplish institutionally. Yep. So I, I just think that's really helpful because well we, can, we can look at ourselves and say, are these people actively excluding me or yeah. are they just uh, do they just are they naive to the people around them because they have good fellowship? And in that way, you yeah. can say, "Yes, I am sad, and this hurts, but that is not something that is unholy or not from God." I would say I've felt guilt. I'm sure you have too in the past for having a group of people I like to hang out with mm -hmm. and being with them. And that's and if you've ever felt that, that's false guilt. That is that don't listen to that. Like it's yeah. okay to do that. Of course, you can't exclude people intentionally, and you know, but yeah, it's okay to do that. It's good to do that. Great cake. Thank you. Any uh, follow-up thoughts on the cake or no, anything the else? No, the cake. I was glad to be encouraged to do that, and okay. I won't use that phrase again. It's the easiest <laughs> baking a cake. <laughs> okay. That might actually give me a better uh, metaphor, though. It's as easy as. I don't know, we'll think about it. <laughs> Just be careful. Yeah, you gotta be careful with that. Easy as changing a diaper. <laughs> Alright, so I guess the challenge is in the next week. You're, you and I are meeting on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Aaron, if you're still watching, we'll just save a diaper for Ben. That was Tuesday, good. Tuesday, 2 p.m. Well, thanks, y'all. Have a great week. And yeah. we'll email out what the topic for, you want to do this next week? Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll email out what the topic will be. And uh, we'll get to the questions that we didn't get to yeah. on whatever that topic is. All right. Have a good night. Good night.